Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversation with Scientists, where each month, MCW is bringing you the science behind the health topics that you're hearing about in the news. This series is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, the state's largest health philanthropy that works to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. I'm Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, Director of the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I'm going to be your host today. And I am so thrilled to be here to talk with Dr. Azriani Chu, Professor of Allergy and Immunology and Interim Section Chief of Allergy and Immunology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. She's also the Medical Director of the Asthma and Allergy Section at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Dr. Chu received her medical degree from MCW in 1992 and completed her residency and fellowships at MCW in 1995 and 1997. Her areas of interest include asthma, allergic diseases, and immunodeficiencies. She's very active in regional and national allergy and immunology organizations and is the medical director of the ALA Asthma Camp in Milwaukee. And she also volunteers with the 16th Street Community Health Center as an asthma specialist. Dr. Chu is committed to providing excellent and compassionate patient care in the fields of allergy and clinical immunology. Dr. Chu, welcome to Conversations with Scientists Today. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to this. It's been a really nice spring morning, so it's perfect timing. Absolutely. Well, this could not be a more timely topic to talk about today. So I've got a list of questions to kind of kick us off uh, to talk about seasonal allergies, you know, what the differences are between flu, COVID-19 um, allergies. Um, but for everybody watching, go ahead and drop any questions you have uh, on the topic into the comments, and we'll get to as many of those as possible during the time we've got. So let's go ahead and, and dive in. Um, to begin with, um, what are seasonal allergies? The allergy symptoms really incorporate a number of different parts of our body. Um, probably first and foremost is the nose symptoms or nasal symptoms like runny nose, uh, drainage, stuffy congestion, um, things kind of running down the back of their throat, as well as kind of ocular symptoms like eye itching, eye watering, eye wet redness, maybe even swelling. These typically occur in the springtime or in the fall. A lot of people kind of say change of seasons, for example. And unfortunately here in the Midwest, it's right when the weather is about to turn nice and we're all ready to open up our windows and things are pollinating or blooming and that's when they notice these symptoms. And what, what causes this to happen? It's a great question. Um, a lot probably depends on family history. So genetics kind of plays a role, but so does exposure. So certainly people who don't even have a family history of seasonal allergies, or I like to say sometimes hay fever, um, about 15% can develop seasonal allergy symptoms. But if a one parent develops and has a history of um, seasonal allergies, it may go up to about twice as many or 30%. And then definitely if two parents have seasonal allergies or allergy type symptoms, it can even go up to 60%. So it's also double the, um, if the, from the general population. Well, so it sounds like family history plays a big role in it. Are there other things that make people more susceptible to have allergies than, than others? That's a great question too, because there's a lot of work going into that type of um, situation. Unfortunately, I think because allergies are so prevalent and commonplace, and again, because there can be that exposure that you may have, um, it's really hard to kind of tease out. Uh, there's certainly some suggestion of things like environmental exposures, climate change, those type of things um, can, can also play a role. Um, and then there's also something that's called kind of the hygiene hypothesis. It might be the idea that allergies on the rise because those cells that um, maybe typically when we were evolving might have been there to fight off certain types of infections like 
parasites and those kind of things now really have nothing much to do. So they kind of even see a, what should be a, uh, you know, not so um, toxic kind of a foreign protein. They make an allergic antibody response and cause some of these symptoms. So, you know, are there like geographic differences? Do we have less, you know, seasonal allergy sufferers in, in Milwaukee or other parts of Wisconsin than, you know, other parts of the country where maybe there's, you know, different seasons or, or more pollen or things like that, or, or does that not really the case? It's probably not the case. It's really more dependent on how long that individual has been exposed to that environment. So for example, um, in the Midwest, when I mentioned, you know, we have kind of our very typical seasons when things happen after winter time, um, that people used to think that if they went to, let's say the desert, so something like Arizona, New Mexico, there really isn't a lot of seasons, it's dry, um, that they would probably kind of be safe from developing allergies. Well, unfortunately, human nature, as you know, people brought their manicured lawns and their, you know, different kind of trees that they wanted to have there. So unfortunately for places like that, where you pretty much have a year round growing season, there's almost like not that very seasonality to the different growing patterns that we do have here in the Midwest. And then of course, I know it's not this topic, but there also are, you can develop allergies to indoor things. So um, there probably isn't a best place to be if you are kind of having that tendency to develop allergies. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So what's the difference between seasonal allergies and respiratory flu and how can you tell the difference? That's a great question too, especially during this time right now. Um, more typical would be again, the similar nasal type symptoms can certainly kind of play a role in either one of those um, kind of, let's say conditions, but the nasal drainage tends to be more clear, maybe watery, as opposed to the thick, maybe discolored kind of appearance you might have with uh, a respiratory flu. You also don't tend to have many of the eye symptoms, in particular, let's say ocular itching is not going to be something that typically comes along with respiratory flu. And then what I always kind of tell my patients and families that I see is it really should not, allergies should really should not cause things like fevers, chills, body aches, those type of things that you would expect with more of a viral illness. Got it. So that makes a lot of sense. And as we're still dealing with COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, what would you suggest people do to tell the difference between allergy symptoms and COVID-19 symptoms, particularly now that we're having a little bit of an uptick in cases and people are suffering from allergies in the spring? Yeah, also a good question. I think it's helpful if that individual knows that around springtime, they've had similar symptoms like this before. So that kind of pattern of seasonality really makes a difference. And then like I mentioned, that idea of the eye symptoms of the itching in particular, um, maybe more of the watery kind of clear drainage as opposed to kind of more of the thicker kind of uh, discolored drainage, um, that may be helpful too. Um, I tend to think of anything that has an itch to it. So if it's eye itching, nasal itching and sneezing, those kind of things may help to kind of determine whether or not this is related more to allergy type symptoms. And again, definitely, we really don't expect any kind of fevers, chills or body aches. It's also rarer or less common, I should say, to have anything in regards to that change in sense of smell unless the person may be very severely swollen in their nasal passages, it's not something that you typically would expect to see with seasonal allergies. Got it. that. That'll makes a lot of sense. And I suppose if you still have questions, you can always uh, reach out to your, your physician. Um, so what can people do to help control seasonal allergy symptoms? Also great. You know, even since I finished my training, 
Um, there are really good over-the-counter antihistamines or allergy medications that are out there. And it's more than just, let's say, the, the Benadryl or diphenhydramine. The nice thing is, are the newer ones tend to be less drowsying or sedating. They tend to also last longer, so you don't always have to kind of give yourself an extra additional pill. So that can help with both the eyes and the nose symptoms. There are also good over-the-counter allergy eye drops, which have to be kind of careful from some of the other eye drops that just get the red out. But the allergy eye drops can be used more safely, um, even every day to kind of help with the symptoms. And again, they're trying to take care of the inflammation, those allergy cells that can be recruited to the eyes. And then in particular, for the nasal symptoms, which can sometimes be a lot more problematic, um, there are over-the-counter um, nasal cortisone sprays that all of these used to be kind of prescription, but the FDA has found to be safe, again, when you're using and recommended doses on the box um, that you can use. And the idea is that the nasal sprays are meant to try to decrease all those allergy cells from being recruited to the nose, which cause the symptoms of the stuffiness. Um, and those cells can release the chemicals of the itching, the watering, the drainage. So it kind of gets more at the underlying uh, cause of the nasal allergies, as opposed to the medication, like the pill, kind of treats the symptoms after they've already developed. That all makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I've, I've suffered from seasonal allergies for a long time. And I, I you know, for, for years and years, I, I lost a week in the spring and a week in the fall where I was just miserable, not really able to function really hard. And ultimately, I ended up getting allergy shots. Uh, it was a long-term uh, process uh, over several years. Um, is that something that, you know, you routinely recommend or how might somebody think about, you know, that as a part of a, a therapeutic strategy? Also an excellent question. I think for me in particular, if the patients have tried the over-the-counter, let's say medications and they don't seem to be as effective or they're suffering from the complications of things like they need to be on antibiotics for frequent um, sinus infections. Maybe they also have some um, asthma related symptoms related to their seasonal allergies. Um, those would be reasons to consider something like allergy immunotherapy or allergy injections. As you can imagine, being that they are injections or shots, um, some people don't necessarily want to, to deal with that. And then just kind of like you mentioned, it really is a kind of a long-term commitment. We wish it was just one injection and they're done, but there is a commitment of kind of building up what's, so to speak, we're trying to change the body's immune response from having a allergic response to more of a protective response by building up and modulating the immune system. So that's really what we're essentially trying to do. But certainly if the medications are helpful and effective, um, again, I always talk about the, um, uh, you know, the long-term commitment, not to discourage them from doing shots, but it is something that the, uh, that the person and their families really need to be committed to, so. Terrific. Well, Dr. G, thanks for those uh, introductory comments. Let's go ahead and turn to some of the questions. We're getting a ton from our viewers. Uh, and so anybody who has additional questions, throw them in the comments and we'll, we'll try to get to them. The first one I've got is, can the histamine response trigger ocular migraines? Uh, and would a decongestant maybe help reduce migraines if it does? Oh, that's always an excellent question because I get that a lot. Certainly we know that it's probably more the inflammatory response that can contribute to kind of more the migraine or headache. So if you think about just the swelling in your nasal passages, which can also then be in your sinuses, you can certainly have headaches. And I've actually heard people talk of it and refer to it as kind of just like um, allergy migraine. So, uh, so that can be something that can play a role. 
we tend to kind of hesitate to talk about or recommend oral decongestants because the oral decongestants really can have some side effects. I mean, if you just use it as needed and very intermittently, then maybe it's not so bad, but um, there can be some people who develop things like high blood pressure or glaucoma. And so if you're using them more regularly, that can cause some, uh, contribute to some problems with those conditions. So for those patients in particular that have more of the headache issue, and again, have the sinus congestion, the swelling of the nasal passages, um, I actually would recommend the use of the nasal cortisone sprays more regularly than the oral decongestants. That's great. The next question I've got is, do people grow out of allergies as they age? Also a good question. Um, it probably is more likely that a, you develop your allergies as a child, um, and then you may, it might change is kind of how I would actually say it. it. They wouldn't necessarily grow out, but it might change from seasonal to something maybe more indoor. Um, those would be kind of the ways that I would look at it. But we definitely know that during certain hormonal changes, so let's say it's a child going into young adulthood, there's something about puberty and teenage years that can change it. So you may see somebody who was extremely miserable with their allergies as a child, and then they actually kind of have less of a problem into adulthood. Um, on the other hand, I've seen that the other way around, they were completely fine as a child, and it wasn't until later that they developed their um, allergy type symptoms. Got it. The next question I've got is about eye itching, and someone wants to know if the over-the-counter drops aren't really helping, are there other things that you can try? Yeah. The only thing for the um, eye symptoms really are going to be either oral antihistamines or the eye drops. And the good news is there's actually quite a few of them now that are over-the-counter as well. And again, always want to be careful that they are the allergy eye drops and not just the um, vasoconstrictors that can just get the red out. Um, so if you've tried one and it doesn't seem to be effective, trying a different one may certainly be reasonable. Uh, another question I tend to uh, get, and it's also a nice tip that I like to share, sometimes those eye drops can kind of burn or sting when you're putting them in. So we do recommend maybe putting it in the refrigerator. Sometimes that chill, that coldness, especially when you're dropping in and stilling the eye drop, actually kind of helps soothe the eye as well. That's great. Um, the next question I've got is, how do you know if you have allergies or asthma or both? Are they linked in some way? Okay, another good question. I typically think of allergies in the way we use that term as being more the nasal and upper respiratory type of symptoms. So again, you can have the eye and the nose symptoms together. When we talk about asthma, it really is more the lower respiratory tract symptoms. So if the person feels, for example, that uh, whatever it is that they're exposed to, not to pick on cats, but let's say a cat, then they feel like not only does it cause their eyes and their nose to run and drain, but they feel tight in their chest or they're coughing or having wheezing, then it would seem that that particular maybe cat could cause both the nasal allergies, but also kind of the lower respiratory symptoms. Now, certainly again, with nasal drainage, there can be cough. So sometimes it's hard to tease out cough uh, by itself, whether it's more nasal allergy, upper respiratory or lower respiratory. But what I typically tell patients and families then would be if it's related to drainage, so you're trying to clear your throat and cough, then it's probably more related to the upper respiratory um, drainage and allergies and not necessarily from down here. So sometimes that can help to distinguish, again, a loose, wet, drainy cough compared to more of a dry, tight cough, which would be more likely to be potentially asthma. 
They can always talk to their healthcare provider to ask if there's any kind of concerns, of course. Got it. Well, you, you can pick on cats all day long. I'm much more of a dog person <laughs> myself. Um, the, the next question I've got is um, about how long does it take for these allergy medicines to kick in? Um, when can you expect a release? Does it take a while for these things to really sort of activate and, uh, and help you out? The allergy antihistamine medications, whether it's in pill form or liquid, and even the eye drops, really should give effective relief probably within 15 minutes to maybe up to an hour. You should be able to notice some kind of benefit by then. And again, depending on the how long acting the, uh, those medications are, you can have maybe 12 hours, you can maybe have 24 hours of relief, but it should be pretty immediate. The nasal cortisone sprays, again, because of the mechanism of trying to stop those um, allergy and inflammatory cells from getting to the nose and releasing the chemicals. Um, what I always tell patients is don't give up on it because it's not gonna work right away. It's gonna at least take two, maybe up to even four weeks before they notice those cells kind of you know, going away, not being recruited there and less congestion and then less symptoms. So. Um, in fact, when patients may be referred to me because maybe medications aren't working, I'll always ask them, have you really given it a very good consistent trial period? Because if you just gave it a few days or even a week or two and it's, you stopped it because it wasn't working, it's not long enough for those nasal cortisone sprays to really start seeing a benefit from them. On the, the topic of nasal cortisone sprays, a viewer wants to know, do they cause or make worse cataracts? Great question. Because it is a steroid or cortisone, there are concerns more so related to glaucoma, which is kind of the elevated blood pressure in the eyes. Um, and so certainly if someone had some concerns about it um, or they're being followed for glaucoma, you want to be extra careful. Um, but even with patients that I have that maybe it's a family history, we kind of use the correct technique and we make sure that there's um, not a problem with kind of where they're spraying. The nasal cortisone sprays have very little systemic absorption, which is actually quite reassuring. And if you think about it, you're trying to apply the anti-inflammatory effects right to the nose, really, again, it's kind of a topical kind of an idea of what you're doing, similar perhaps to someone who might use a topical cortisone cream for a rash. But if there's any questions or concerns, definitely want to talk to your healthcare provider. Um, but cataracts, not so much of an issue as potentially the concern or possible concern with things like glaucoma and elevated intraocular pressure. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I've got a viewer who says they've had allergies since they were nine years old. I don't know how old they are now, but I, it sounds like for, for many, many years. And they want to know, is it possible to just get rid of allergies altogether? Wow. I think that's kind of like the million dollar question uh, or maybe even billion dollars now. Um, I don't think that there's any one single thing that you can completely remove um, and make your allergies kind of cure, which it's really nice because for me, one of the reasons I chose this field was I really, I, I suffer myself from allergies. So I know that it affects quality of life and really just trying to be able to make a difference in someone's life and just being able to be outside and enjoy it um, is one of the things that I really benefit, um, that really, um, that I get very passionate about. So there isn't really anything that will just kind of take it away. Unfortunately, they've done studies looking at, you know, whether it's um, mom's diet while she's pregnant or certain things that even when the, their, um, the individual may be a baby. Um, and I think, as I mentioned before, there's so many different variables, unfortunately, into the development of allergies that there isn't one single thing that um, 
that we can just kind of remove and hopefully all allergies go away. I wish. That makes a lot of sense. And so we've got a viewer who wants to know if they wanted to start an uh, immunotherapy allergy shot program, um, is there a particular time of the year, spring, summer, winter, uh, that would be better than another to, to get started? Oh, also a good question. I think, first of all, you have to be committed. So it's whenever you decide like, yeah, I want to go ahead and, and step up to this kind of program. There probably isn't one time of year that's better. Although if you're able to be off of, let's say your medications in order to be tested, because you obviously want to have the testing to document what you're allergic to, since the healthcare provider is going to, the allergist is going to actually prescribe um, the immunotherapy vials specifically for what you are sensitized to. So they have to obviously kind of do it according to what your testing results show. So I know I have patients that say, I'm really interested, but I want to wait till after the pollen season so I can, you know, hold those medications and have the best results altogether. And then if that's not a, a problem about holding the medications, the idea of how long it takes to get up to a certain level or concentrations of the shots is also going to be helpful. So I, I actually tell patients, really, even you may not expect to see anything for a year, um, but then hopefully after that year of being on kind of the, the monthly maintenance program, let's say we say, um, then, you know, if you feel like it's made a difference, great. I've had some patients that actually feel like they've gotten better even after two or three injections. I, I don't know if that's actually more of a placebo or sugar pill effect, but hey, if they feel like they're better already, that's awesome. But from an immune standpoint, it probably takes, again, a, uh, several months before you really are going to be starting to feel um, the effect of the uh, allergy injections. That makes a lot of sense. So it takes definitely uh, some patience if you're going to go that route. Um, another viewer wants to know, is there a relationship? Can seasonal allergies cause sinus infections? Yes. What I look at, and again, this kind of ties into another question about the difference between respiratory flu. One of the questions I always get are people say to me, you know, boy, I, I, I'm always constantly with a nasal symptoms year round. And, you know, is that normal? And I actually tell patients that, yeah, even colds should not last all year round. So the person might even have very multiple season allergies, or they may have more indoor allergies. And then we can, you know, if we do the testing to kind of document or figure out which one it is, that's very helpful. Because similar to colds and viruses, if nasal allergies cause the swelling and inflammation in the nasal passages, kind of what I describe is if all of that stuff or junk is stuck there and it's there for a period of time and doesn't seem to clear up, then they're more likely to develop a bacterial sinus infection. And then the bacterial sinus infection, it may be definitely the time to actually get some antibiotics to clear it up. Viruses, as we all know, do not need antibiotics. So a typical viral infection is maybe seven to 10 days maybe even up to two weeks. But if your symptoms are lingering into, you know, beyond two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and they're really, again, the, the, this color drainage, you're just feeling more tender, um, those kind of things, then I would suggest getting, um, getting evaluated by your healthcare provider because you may certainly have a bacterial sinus infection that complicated the allergies. Well, thanks for that. Another question I've got here is, um, do pets make seasonal allergies worse? Great question. It, it's not that you're allergic to the cat or dog, let's say, or the pet. 
and then your seasonal allergies would be worse. They really are going to be very distinct kind of conditions. So uh, if somebody has, you know, they go into someone's home and they start noticing that they're more congested or runny and they, before they even see, let's say the cat, again, picking on the cat, not the dog there, Jesse, um, then, uh, they, you know, again, it's, it's not something that they're necessarily going to be more prone to the seasonal allergies. And certainly you have some individuals that say their pet allergies are worse than their seasonal allergies and others who say, yeah, I have minimal symptoms with the pets, but boy, the seasonal allergies really get to me. That makes a lot of sense. I, I will say my allergist told me a long time ago to, to not use my dog as a pillow. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's advice that I, I've chosen to ignore, but it's, it's worked out. It's worked out okay. Um, and with that, we've, we've run out of time. I want to thank you, Dr. Chu, for joining us today. Um, if we didn't get your questions, uh, feel free to drop an email to conversations at mcw.edu and we'll try to follow up. And I hope that everybody who watched today will join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a Conversations on Science. Thank you so much. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.